Welcome back, Spokane, to another episode of Ever Real Talks. I am your host, Matt Side, joined, as almost always, by my co-host, Jessica Side. Hi. Hello and welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Today, we are going to be talking about zoning, which sounds kind of boring. Oh, it sounds amazing. Yeah. But here's the deal. There's, there is... Um, we think of zoning as a way for to make sure that factories are not built in the middle of a residential area, correct? Yeah. I mean, I think of That's, zoning as like you can't build certain things in certain areas. Yes. And it's not always, to me, it's not necessarily factories. It's like you sure. can't build an apartment next to a house. Right. You can't, so. Right. Exactly. So, sadly, the history of zoning is m- much more throt. Let's try that not again. Not throt with anything. Not throt. It's fraught with bad intentions. And as modern Americans, I don't think we truly understand where the roots of zoning come in. Um, The foundations of zoning have had a lasting effect on the poor and especially people of color in the United States. Um, This month is Black History Month. And in, I'm hoping that um, all of us obviously think about black history and how black history has affected the United States more than just one month a year. But it does give me pause to, and an unction to want to learn, to, to learn, to be better, to, um, through education, through action, through understanding. So yeah, it's the importance of designating a month or a day for something is that it brings it to our attention. Correct. Regularly, Yeah. So today we're going to focus on zoning and how zoning has not only contributed to racism and poverty, but in this country, it was actually born out of racism, which some of, for some of you are going to be like, huh? I don't understand. Why does it matter if an that apartment... That doesn't make any sense, Right. Jessica. Why an apor- apartment building built next to a, a residential home, why that even matters, why, why it would contribute to racism. So... Um, there were some zoning laws actually that started to be put in place way early, like even in the late 1800s after the civil war, um, people were trying to figure out ways to continue to, um, segregate, (laughs) segregate and put their boot on, you know, on the neck of, um, black people in this country. So interestingly enough, in 1917, the Supreme court actually struck down one of these one of these zoning laws, they, they were considered, I mean, they were considered racial zoning laws in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, that was the Buchanan versus Warley, right? Correct. Correct. And you have, you have, I'm just, that? well, I, I just have like at- a, like, I think it's important. This city zoning ordinance, uh, which was across the country legally forbade minorities from occupying blocks where the majority of residents were white. Like that was the actual, Right. Law. <laughs> okay. So I think it's interesting that our Supreme Court in 1917 actually struck that down. However, most Southern states uh, just ignored them and found, found ways around them. Um, there was a gentleman named Robert Witten um, in Atlanta, and he uh, I have a quote from him saying, Home neighborhoods had to be protected from further damage or value or value damage or value resulting from inappropriate uses, including the encroachment of the colored. That's a quote from him. Lovely. So there were a lot of people that were promoting segregation as the ideal social order, right? In their mind, 
some of them, and I, I want to I want to make sure that we put history in context, right? There were some people that believed to their core that separating the races was the way to go. However, there were absolutely people who just were racist. <laughs> they didn't. They weren't looking at it as like, well, this is better for the black man. Maybe they could lie to themselves, justify it in their own yes, mind, and and you know, so they could sleep at night knowing that those are uh, fellow human beings. However. Um, that was not the case for everyone. Okay, so in 1921, under President Warren G. Harding, um, they created, uh, under Hoover, so Hoover was one of his um, cabinet members, they created Hoover's Zoning Advisory Committee. Now, this advisory committee was made up of lots of people. Lots of them were segregationists, and lots of them were racist. Here is something really interesting, is that one of the people on that committee has a serious tie with Spokane. And we have talked about this individual and this individual's brother time after time after time on this show because it is Frederick Olmsted of the Olmsted brothers. And he, he and his brother put a report together for Spokane because they had done Central Park. Um, in New York City. In New York City and several other places, Portland, Seattle. And they put together a, a, a very important report for Spokane Parks that we still use to this day. However, Frederick Olmsted was on this zoning advisory committee, which again, on the face of it, that title doesn't sound that bad, right? However, Olmsted said that racial divisions had to be taken into account for successful housing developments. So remember, parks and, and their... Um, inception was not just about the park, but it was also about the houses around the park. And it was about a, com a much larger community. So he was involved in lots of community making, yet he held these and, beliefs. And he held these beliefs. So the reality is, is yeah. that within that, the influence, the development of a zoning and like the forefathers of zoning. Yes. Uh, and, and housing development and, and all of that, because that, zoning really does go into housing development. It was, that was kind of the core belief system that they came from. Yeah, that's right. That so, those individuals. So when I, when I said at the very beginning of this that it's fraught with bad intentions, I truly mean it was fraught with bad intentions. Um, I'm not just trying to be overly dramatic in that. Um, so we're going to talk about a couple of different zoning things and you jump in whenever you, we kind of worked on this separately. So I know he's got some thoughts too, but, um, so I want to talk about zoning for size of home and lots. And you're, you might be saying to yourself, well, how could that possibly be racist? If all you're saying is that, okay, this home has to be this size and in this area, all the lots have to be this particular yeah, and size. I'm, this is where I'm, I'm going to just yeah, jump, jump in right in here. Because here's what Buchanan versus Worley was one of the beginning uh, cases in a series of cases that really created the Fair Housing Act that was developed in 1968. It was very interesting because fair housing, the Fair Housing Act prohibits discrimination based on race, color, national origin, religion, sex, ability, and familial status. However, mm -hmm. notably, it does not prohibit class-based discrimination. Mm -hmm. So as a result, the Fair Housing Act provides a loophole for discrimination that confines low-income people to certain neighborhoods by systematically preventing them through economic ta 
tactics, such as minimum lot size and other expensive requirements from moving into areas with access to opportunity. Right. So there is, like you say, well, how can Mm -hmm. lot size, I mean, obviously that's one of the, the ways. And then the reality is because racial minorities are much more likely to have lower incomes, class-based discrimination tends to have a disparate impact on them parallel to racial discrimination of the past. In other words, the class-based discrimination embodied in today's exclusionary zoning uh, in its outcome is de facto racial discrimination. Right. So for those of you who didn't catch everything he just said, the idea is if you make a big enough house people that are on the lower end of income cannot afford that house because we've made it too big. We've made the lots too big. And so they were able to say, well, in this area, all the lots have to be this size and the homes have to be this size, which just naturally, but again, this was not a mistake. This was intentional, would keep away anyone that was less wealthy. Okay. So and the higher percentage of those less, less wealthy were yes. people of color. Yes. And now here's the thing is that you you even hear this today like we think well this is behind us and we're just we'll just have you know we're fine. However, there are uh, but, lots of wealthy communities that are not wanting any high density building to put near them because they and they're using things like cuz the crime is going to go up in that community. So the implication is that lower earners equals more crime. <laughs> it's the it's case in point right now in this moment in time. Like yeah. go, I challenge you, go find a homeowners association anywhere in Spokane County that doesn't have some of these things as part of it, like minimum lot size, minimum size of house to be built. Like Eagle Ridge, guaranteed it's there. Yeah, Hangman Valley, no, it's there because I've looked at it myself when we were looking at lots in that area. Like yeah. they have minimums. Yeah, that. Whether it was in the mindset of the people that created those associations or not, it is there. And I cannot tell you how many times in the last month and a half I've heard the phrase, not in my backyard, when we're talking about higher density and townhomes and the things that we've talked about in earlier episodes just this year. Like that phrase, well, not in my backyard. I don't want a bunch of high density in my backyard. And it's, it's absolutely the core of... It it, redu- it it keeps people out of opportunity because the other reality is is that if I'm if I'm low income and I can't move into certain areas because I can't afford to live in that area because I have to have a four thousand square foot house on a quarter acre lot minimum. Yes, it also keeps me from the schools that are in that area. Mm-hmm. So rather than being inclusionary in what we have, where you've got a four thousand square foot million and a half dollar home next to a two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand dollar townhouse that's only twenty four hundred square feet or whatever that is. Now all of a sudden and I kudos to Greenstone, because if you mm-hmm. go back to our episode when we were interviewing Charlotte on Greenstone, one of the visions of the Greenstone communities is integration of different like socioeconomic groupings of individuals. And they have big ass houses and they also have apartments all in the same community right and that ultimately like yeah in my backyard please because that's going to create a diversity of not just people groups but of economic and people groups and shame on us if we think that because somebody doesn't make as much money as us that they're inevitably going to be criminals right (laughs) they're going to be stealing the wheels off my car yeah when we start thinking about that you have to really confront your own 
bias. Classism, racism, all of those things. And I think it's really interesting because when you you said, you know, people in Eagle Ridge or people in, you know, I'm sorry to call it Eagle Ridge, it's just close by, um, you know, they're just patterning themselves over history, right? Totally. They're not looking at the roots of zoning and these kinds of lot sizes and saying, oh, wow, hmm, maybe we need to rethink that. But I think we're in a time where... Well, if nobody calls it out, then nobody even thinks about it. Yes. This is the time to kind of rethink some stuff in terms of that. So lot size and home size, those are some things that were put in place to keep certain groups of people out. All right, so let's talk about zoning for commercial or industrial use. So this is the type of zoning that was created, right? You think, because I mentioned that at the very beginning, you know, you don't really want a factory, totally, absolutely don't want a factory that is like right next to my house. So that makes a lot of sense. However, when that zoning went into place a long time ago, guess which communities they were trying to keep it away from? The white communities. Yet they were a lot closer, if not in like across the street from black and poor communities. So not only do you, if you live away from an area that has in, in industry and commercial and things like that. Now some commercial, you know, I'm, I would love it if a bakery was over there, but you had better living because of your aesthetic, right? You had beautiful views, you had clean air, all of those things. And also your health. Your health was going to be better if you were away from those industries. So again, it just shows that black communities were not so lucky and they were not given the same type of consideration when it came to where these uh, industrial and commercial areas were built near. Oh my gosh, I, I don't even have this written down. However, think about where a freeway goes through a, t- a, a city. Do they go through rich communities? Absolutely not. They go through the poorest communities, period. And you will see that in almost every city, including our own. And I've done some, I haven't done enough research, but certainly looked at just even when I-90 came in and how it, it split that entire neighborhood. So you, where you used to be able to walk to your friend's house, now you've got a couple of catwalks to get across there. You know, otherwise you have to go way down to get under the bridge or mm-hmm. you just, we don't take into consideration. We don't, con- we're not considerate of poor families when it comes to infrastructure in our cities. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. That just kind of came up. All right. So, um, where zoning, this is interesting, where zoning and racial regulations, and I'm going to call it racial regulations because it really was that, were banned. Guess what take, took over? CCNRs and HOAs. So, okay, we can't, now we can't zone based on racial stuff. Well, people were like, ooh, I've got an idea. Why don't we, as the neighbors in this neighborhood, we'll police our own neighborhood? And then they convinced, and I don't know the cart before the horse here, but then builders started putting that in their CCNRs when they would actually build these properties. And we've, we've talked about this before, but again, we're finding loopholes, right? As, as, um, human beings, we're finding loopholes to keep ourselves away from what we don't want to be around. And so that was one of the things that happened. Citizen formed those HOAs. They policed their neighborhood. They were keeping black and brown people out and they weren't ashamed to put it in black and white in those CCNRs and to like enforce them. So 
I, I would like to kind of leave you with this question, and that is, are modern segregated communities a matter of free choice, preference, or habit? Or do they exist in the U.S. because of the systematic planning of the wealthy, well-connected majority who at the very best believed that we were all better if we lived separate but equal, and at the very worst despised the black community and did not want to live near them and see them reach their potential here in the United States? So I would like That's to... That's a big question. Yeah, it is a good question. Two books that I want to recommend. The, the One is fiction and one is nonfiction. Number one is The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. It is eye-opening, it's interesting, it's heartbreaking, and it talks about all of this stuff in so much more detail and tons of... It cites a lot of um, true fact inf- information. I mean, it is a textbook on what we, were, what we are scratching the surface but it's, of right it, now. But it's not that big it's not like it's gonna feel like no i mean it's not like 500 pages right, or anything right. like that I want, what i'm saying i want people to feel ref- like they can handle accessible i'm yes. gonna i'm gonna it is accessible but at the same time it's a it's a read and reread moment because right it's it is very like and this law came into place and then these this group of people met and here's what they said and how that you know so it is yeah when i say a textbook like you can go through and probably highlight and learn in a single chapter and then probably need to relearn some of Right, that. right. So again, that's The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. The second book that I want to recommend is A Raisin in the Sun. And this is also made into a movie. Um, I think it was in the 1960s. It was by Lorraine um, Hansberry. And she was eight years old when her family uh, deliberately attempted to move into a restricted neighborhood. So... So the book, or the book or the movie, whatever you decide to consume, um, talks about a, a black family and their aspiration to move from where they were to a better situation for them. So, it, it basically she wants to address the restric- restricted covenants in which white property owners agreed not to sell to blacks, like it was a covenant, right? I won't sell to a black person, and they created ghettos. Um, known as the Black Belt on Chicago's South Side. So, yeah, I mean, the, there's some of the examples in the color of law coming to my mind right now that that I won't go into too many details. But there are there were things where a white person was only able to buy in a neighborhood, and somebody purchased and then couldn't move in for a while, and they had a friend that was black and they let him rent there for a while mm-hmm. and they ended up getting citations like they were as if the individual was trying to purposely circumvent by buying a house in a white neighborhood to let a black person live there and that wasn't even what they were trying to do but they were that like hypersensitive to yeah. keeping the distance and keeping the segregation and i would maybe we could end with this i would mm-hmm. challenge you each of you listeners viewers out there to engage your government officials on this because the bills that I talked about a month ago in January about middle housing are basically dead at the state legislature already. And it's the middle of February. And so, you know, whether that's the state officials and probably having a higher possibility of actual action would be our city council members and county commissioners and really start to drive home the importance of the missing middle housing because it affects us all, yeah. as we've talked about in past episodes, but it affects in greater proportion people of color because they are more likely, I have 
the cha- this change here, like one in four black Americans and one in six Hispanic Americans live in poverty. Living in poverty reside in these high poverty neighborhoods. Yep. Only one in 13 poor white Americans live in those same neighborhoods. Yeah. And so the change has to come with the rules and the laws that will put it that will put opportunity in our backyard. And it isn't just for our brothers and sisters of color. It's for our own kids, right? It's for anybody that is like starting out in life. Like I think we have to have that um, enlightened self-interest to realize that it's in all of our interest to, to do this and to make these changes. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. And I hope that this is enlightening to you. And I hope it makes you think. I hope it makes you think about... If you have thoughts or questions or Mm -hmm. things you want to dialogue about in this regard or in regard to any other real estate stuff, you can uh, email us at info at everreal.com. You can search for us on social media. Just type in E-V-O-R-E-A-L or call us at 509-62-HOUSE. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye.